Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, Marlo. Hello, the web. How are we? Welcome once again to Sam Talks Technology. My guest today is a very special guest. Uh, I haven't seen Shah in ooh, maybe a decade or so, but um, she hasn't aged a day, by the way. I just have to tell you that. I don't know. We'll find out what the secret is. Now, Shah is a very special lady. We'll talk about what she's doing today. She's got a new book out, How to Fix Your SH Star T. Uh, you can guess that. But really, what we want to find out from Shah is what she's been up to. Now, started off at the LSE. She managed to win a competition with Cosmopolitan to promote Chris Eubank, which, you know, at the time when I was her age, I was probably not doing that. She went on to run several great companies, which we'll talk about. With all of that in mind, Shah, welcome. How are you? I am really good. And my God, I can't believe it's been a decade since we've seen each other. Wow. <laughs> yes. Um, luckily, black don't crack, so I'm okay. <laughs> Um, uh, I'm doing all right for white. No, well, actually, I think you've got half of it because your name's brilliant, right? So it's very memorable. So where does your name come from? Let's start off with that. Okay, so my my DNA background is I um, am part Sicilian. My dad was Italian American. My mum's British, um, but the name Shah is actually Navajo Indian. My mum was working on an American uh, Indian reservation while she was pregnant with me. Of course, of course, your mother would be doing that. <laughs> no, as you mean to go on, I say. Exactly. Now, Shah, what are you doing today? Can you give us a little flavour of what Shah Enterprises does? Yeah, it was interesting because we were talking before we went live. And I, I guess the best way to describe me is an online educator, which I think is quite amusing considering that my mom, I grew up single parent family on a council estate. Um, both of those things I'm really proud of because it's made me who I am. My mom was a teacher, an English teacher at secondary school. And I absolutely swore blind. I would never, ever become a teacher because they weren't paid enough money. And they're still not paid enough money, not even by a long stretch. And yet I've somehow managed to find a way to earn pretty decent money teaching and doing the things I love, which ultimately is all we could all ask for. Yeah, which is which is exactly. Um, now, what do, you, what do you do? I mean, you've got a Facebook group with 12,000 people. What's that called first? Let's get that out of the way. It's called the Freedom Collective and it's entirely free and it's filled with entrepreneurs, um, small business owners, uh, consultants, trainers, coaches, therapists, um, basically anyone who is doing their own thing and really wants to build a business on their terms. And I think this is the big differentiator between the Shah today and the Shah 10 years ago. Um, I, I am I am not about the life of high net worth investors and VCs and big boards and big exits. I'm in the let me live a life that I love and dictate my own time frame. Let me take my son to school. Let me have 17 weeks holiday and let me take home enough money that provides me with, quite frankly, a pretty beautiful lifestyle. Yeah, it doesn't and- make me any less ambitious, just means I don't want to be chained with other people's chains. Uh, so agree with you. I mean, I got on a train the other day to go and see a friend of ours, Drew Alice. He was doing um, uh, hosting a breakfast in London and I... I have to say, I've never been so depressed watching all these people getting on a train, pushing and juggling so they can get a seat for 20 minutes. It was, and you know, the one that really gets me is the person who knows exactly where the doors open every day of their life. I'm like, oh my God, do you not think you have to change your life? If that's what you know, you have to change your life. I, 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 ju- I really, really am passionate about this because 
I remember when I started in this world that I currently operate in, I think that a lot of the people in my life thought I was having a midlife crisis, that I'd suddenly lost my ambition and I wanted to take an easy life. And I was going to, I don't know, make cupcakes from my kitchen. And yeah, I'd lost my ambition. And actually the reverse is true. The difference is that the most, the, the thing that I'm most ambitious about is owning my own life, yeah. is living yeah. my own life, and is not having my life dictated to me by a board, by a group of investors, or quite frankly, anyone else who isn't responsible for covering my bills. Yeah, well, my, my uh, epiphany moment, similar to yours, was when I saw the film Point Break with Keanu Reeves. And there's a moment where the guys are walking to the beach with their, their boards, and they're looking over a bridge which has the cars going on a motorway into the office. And he just simply said, they're going to their death coffins, you know, and it just dawned on me. So at the time I was running gateway computers in Europe and my wife was running MSN. We'd had our first child and it was this really weird moment where I walked out the door, the nanny walked in, the gardeners were going in one way. We had the cleaners coming in. We weren't seeing our child. We were paying a mortgage and we were going to be sat in some boring meeting for eight hours. And I said to Jill, life has got to change this is all wrong and that's yeah. i mean we we've changed. only got one life as far as we're aware as far as you know as far as i'm concerned without any other proof to the contrary i'm gonna just take it at face value that this is the only one i've got and i don't want to spend all of it commuting somewhere i don't want to spend it in meetings that quite honestly don't really have any real impact on actual real human beings out there they might have impacts on a spreadsheet and on valuations and all of that but i guess um I guess my motivations really changed. My motivations became, how can I have a bigger impact? How can I reach more people? How can I help shift other people's lives? Um, and in the process, can I create a better life for myself and my son? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so you've got this group of 12,000 people on Facebook. You've also got another private, more exclusive group. What's that called? Uh, that's called the Six Figure Club, and it's a membership, like I guess like Netflix, so... Depending on when people joined, they either pay £29 a month or 97 And that seems quite a broad spectrum. But that's because the early adopters who came and supported me at 29 quid, there was not a website, there was no resources, there was no library, there were no guest experts, there were no, you know, there was no in-person trainings. It was a very different proposition to what people join for today. So today, um, being part of the Six Figure Club means that you've got weekly live Q&As. We have incredible experts, like worldwide guest experts every month. We do quarterly meetups. It's essentially a gym for your business if you're a solopreneur, if you're doing your own thing in whatever capacity. But primarily, we're focused on people who are building online businesses because that's my background. That's my passion. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> people were buying you, really, to begin with, I guess. Yeah, that's absolutely, what it was. without the resources. So I feel like in, in that situation, you should always, always pay back that loyalty. Okay. Is this what people are terming masterminds now? It, it, would you call yours a mastermind? Yeah, so for me, a mastermind is a peer group. So you might have one person leading the peer group, but a mastermind, you've got to be able to sit around that table with the other people in your mastermind and be able to learn from all of the people around the table, not just the person leading it. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be on the same turnover bracket. It doesn't mean you're going to be experts in the same thing. In fact, 
ideally you should have different strengths. It's, it, I guess it's in a way like when you get a really, really good board of directors, that's what a mastermind should be like. Like you're bringing in people who all have their own skills and strengths and they get to share that with the group. You're probably going to have somebody facilitating or leading the mastermind. But what you're not doing is looking to that one person for all the answers. The answers, 80% of them should be coming from the people who are sat around the table opposite you and with you. Okay. So the group that you run is basically a group where you're bringing in expertise to the group and people are learning from both you Absolutely. and other people that you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's much more of an online learning platform and a community. Like that is, um, you know, my theme for 2020 is all about community. I feel like we are seriously craving real life connection in a way I haven't seen for maybe the last five, 10 years even, because whilst we've all been focused in building these digital businesses, and I'm a massive champion of that, actually in the background, what's been happening is we feel disconnected from people. And what I'm starting to see, certainly in my industry, is a real desire to add something to the mix that instead of just the online learning, that actually you are providing a, a platform or a way for people to meet in real life. Yeah, I think people do want that. I think social media has been, I guess, the, the um, it's out of the closet, really. You know, it's not very social and it's not very friendly. I mean, it's I, I term Facebook fake book because I think it just really is a pre presentation of what you would like the world to see, but it's not your life. A hundred percent. One of the most popular posts I've ever written was um, almost like a call to arms for everybody to stop photoshopping their lives. And by photoshopping your lives, I don't just mean putting filters on your Instagram posts. I mean, what you actually write, like your version that people put up on Facebook, what version of reality is that really? It's a photoshopped version. Yeah. And so all we're doing is creating this feeling for everyone of, of not good enough, of discontentment, of feeling like they're always having to compete with someone, when in reality, if you actually took the filters and the Photoshop off of all of these Instagram and Facebook posts, you'd realize that everybody's struggling just like you are, just like I am, just like we all are. Yeah, everyone has their challenges. Okay, now, the Facebook groups and is what you're currently doing, but you've also got a book out at the moment. Now, um, I've got to be very careful how I say this, how to fix your SH star T, and I think everyone can work that out. Now, what was the motivator behind that book? Because you also had a best-selling book as well. So do you want to talk about both those yeah, books? So it, was, it was the third in a trilogy, and I've been really fortunate. I think... Um, I feel like I'm like the Madonna of business in the sense that I'm like the mother of reinvention. Every time I feel like, you know what, this chapter's done and I want to do something else, I embrace it wholeheartedly. I don't give myself a hard time that I should just stick with this thing, whatever this thing is, if I don't want to do it anymore. And so one of the things I'd always wanted to do was I'd always wanted to write. So my first book was called Stop Talking, Start Doing, uh, Kicking the Pants in Six Parts. And that was all about overcoming procrastination. And all of my books have stemmed from my personal experiences and those close to me. So I would have conversations with my friends where they wanted to get married, divorce, start a business, move to the south of France, lose weight, stop smoking, stop drinking, whatever it was. And typically six months, a year later, we'd have the same conversation. <laughs> These are people that I love dearly and I could not get my head around why nothing had shifted. So that was the, that was the reason behind my first book. And, um, yep, yeah, that was a number one bestseller and WH Smith's is the number one bestselling business book for 14 
won four months in a row. So I'm really super That's proud amazing. Of that. that is amazing. Yeah, I'm super proud of that because that was my first book. Uh, so James Dyson wrote the foreword. Seth Godin put a blurb on the front cover. Um, and that was followed up with um, a fantastic two-book deal with Penguin, which saw another number one bestseller um, and including a Sunday Times bestseller, which was Do Less, Get More. And my third in the trilogy, How to Fix Your SH Star T. Don't worry, I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, off comma getting very hot on this. We've yes. all got stuff that we need to fix. And again, it was conversation I was having with peers, with colleagues, with friends, with family. If you have your personal life fixed, there was something in the business that needed to get fixed. If your business was fixed, there was something in your, your health that you need. And I just wanted to have open, honest conversations on, you know, what are some practical ways that we can get through these things? How could I help the reader move through the stuff that they knew they needed to fix, but they just didn't quite have the tools or they just didn't know what to do to make progress. And, and I'm a massive believer in momentum and just taking one small step at a time will always move you forward. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Yeah. Incremental baby steps. What was it? The first, t- first step of a 10,000 mile starts with the first step, you know? Absolutely. <clears throat> now, who, who, who's given you this wisdom? Is this the stuff that you've picked up along the way or have you just learned from other people? How have you got all of this knowledge and wisdom to, to give out? Uh, probably by making a huge <laughs> amount of mistakes. <laughs> like, I think that, um, when you look at my career, you could be forgiven or mistaken for thinking that, you know, I've had five people's career in, in, uh, in half a lifetime. Um, but also I've been incredibly fortunate to work alongside some amazing, amazing people and, I've learned from them. I've learned from my wins and I've absolutely learned from my mistakes of which there have been plenty. Yeah. And that's going back to what we were saying a couple of minutes ago, you know, the filtered version of life everyone looks like from the outside in that they've just gone linear bottom to top and, and that's all it's they've ever done. It's absolutely bullcrap. Like it really is. It is not true. I've never met a person who has that trajectory. And I feel it does all of us a disservice by pretending that we've done that because not only do we set ourselves up for a fall by pretending that we're, you know, um, we're infallible, but we also set everybody else up for a fall because if other people start to think that that's how we've got to our success, then their automatic assumptions that they won't be able to make it because they're not perfect like you. And yet none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes along the way. Yeah, we have. Now, um, Okay, let's say I want to come and join your expert club. How do I do it? What's the, what's, what's the step? Do I, do I have to do an interview with you? Is it, or is it, you know, how, what's the process? Uh, so you literally go to shah.com forward slash the club. That's it. And you sign up to the waitlist because we're not open for membership all year round. We open up uh, three times a year. And the reason we open up three times a year is because we want to manage the process of new people coming on board. We want to make sure that their um, their customer journey is smooth. We want to make sure that they are contributing to the group. And all of these things are, are really important. And if we suddenly had a deluge of 500 people in one go, we would struggle as a team to be able to provide the level of service that we would want. And um, we're also very big on getting feedback from the people who are in the group. So we're constantly looking at ways that we can tweak it, bringing in new community managers. This year, for the first time, we've set um, quarterly what we call implementation days. So actually, people can rock up. I bring a team of experts and you get to just literally sit in a room with a team of experts, whether it's Facebook ads, legal, accounting, the whole tech, all of it, and ask your questions so that whatever hurdles you've got that are holding you back in your business, that's the day that you can show up 
And as part of your membership, you don't have to pay any extra for it. You get the help that you need to get over the next hurdle. Because in, in my experience, what's held me back the most, and typically I found this to be true for almost everybody I know, is it's just getting over that next hurdle. Whatever it is, it might seem like a really small thing for you, Sam, but for me, it was huge. Or the other way around, you tell me you got stuck on A, and I'm thinking, wow, that's just like mm. a... That's like a little molehill and you're thinking it's a mountain. But that's the beauty of community, right? That we we all have different skills yeah. and strengths to bring to the table. Okay. Now, the third trilogy element of this is that you're going to be coming out with a podcast as well very shortly. Is that yes. That's not a secret, is it? You have got that on your website, so... I have got it on my website, although it's so funny. I haven't even told anybody about my website. It's all been updated, like, literally a couple of weeks ago. And I haven't even put a single post out there yet because I've been so under it in terms of trying to get all the stuff done in the background for the podcast. I am really, really excited because like you, I believe that the future is audio. Yeah. Um, I, I know that a lot of people think, oh, you've missed the boat for, for podcasts. And I just think, oh my God, how many times have I heard that about eBay or coffee shops or whatever thing that people are talking about? Everybody's thinking that you have to get in on the, but actually it's just not true. Like, Actually, when you look at the statistics, there is so much room for growth for podcasts. But for me personally, it's about talking about subjects that you're passionate about. And I am really passionate about breaking down so many myths that exist in this online world about what it takes to be successful. Yeah, and I think I think with, with the podcast, don't do it. This is just my general advice, not to you. Don't do it. You know, if you, if you're looking to make money out of it, don't do it. That's not going to be why you end up doing it. You've got to be passionate, don't as you say. Don't do it if you want to make money. Don't do it if you think you didn't get a million followers overnight. You've got to do it. Yeah. If you've got something to say, you want to share it with the world. You're really passionate about it and you're passionate about it enough to be consistent for at least three years. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it, uh, the one thing I would say is be persistent and consistent. Do it because people, um, it's very strange. Once you've got somebody who subscribes to your podcast, they have an expectation. They, they're on their dog walk on Thursday at nine in the morning and they expect your podcast to be there. Yep. And if it's not, what you do is you go, Oh, well, it wasn't there. I'll go and listen to someone else's. And that becomes their new habit. And, and podcasting is one of those things that you have to be consistently putting out there. Um, say i think consistency is key for anyone who wants to build a personal brand or an online business of any description you need to you need to earn the trust of your audience and that means you've got to be consistent when you say you're going to show up at this time on this date that's what you've got to do and not just do it once or twice but you've got to do it all the time yeah. even on the days when you don't feel like it yeah i've taken on a massive uh, challenge to do a daily 10 minute podcast of the headline news so yeah here we go i've done um, it Crazy. Who does that? Is it John Lee Dumas who does Entrepreneur on Fire? He does a daily. Yeah. 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 And, and I just think, you know, I, I research daily all the stuff that I love doing because I love doing it. It's not, it's not a chore. Um, and putting it to a 10 minute podcast. So, um, now you famously get up at five in the morning. Well, you, it could have been four 30 at one point. Um, I'm I don't not- know what you got. 4.30, Well, there was an article. I've done my research on you, young lady. Um, I, there was an article in the paper about you being in the 4.30 club. 5 a.m. club. I mean, truthfully, <laughs> I did get up at 4.45 today, but that is rare for me. Oh, uh, okay. I am a big fan of the 5 a.m. club, particularly in the summer months. I, I'm not going to lie. I find it harder in the winter months. Um, but it is a very rare day you see me in bed beyond 5.30 a.m. Okay. And... Just out of interest, what time do you get to Ben on the other side of it then? Um, about 11. Okay. 
All right, so seven hours. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I can survive on six. Yep. Eight, eight is a lovely luxury, but seven is fine. Yeah, no, I'm a six in the morning person, so that's okay. Um, okay, so you've got your podcast, you've got your collective group, the Freedom Collective, you've got your uh, group now, and you've got your books. Now, that's a lot for most people, but I know. That's not enough for you. So um, let's take a little delve back before we start to look at what next from Shah Wazmud. But so where did it all start? We, we talked earlier about the fact that, you know, you've got a unique name. That's a wonderful name. It's a, an, an American Indian name. Um, but you had a hard lifestyle from being a single, your mum being a single parent. But, yeah. but you ended up, I'm, I'm going to fast forward now into, you went to LSE. So that's a pretty good jump from somebody who said they were, you know, on the council estate from a single mum. Not many people have done that. So how did you end up at the LSE? Well, truthfully, I got expelled from my state school. And um, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, now you've peaked me. <laughs> anyway, yeah, go no, on. I genuinely got expelled from school. And then I was incredibly fortunate. And that's no faux humility. But genuinely, I... I will forever be in gratitude to the City of London School for Girls, which is a renowned um, private school for girls, uh, where I had a full scholarship. Um, the headmistress at the time, Lady France, who was without a question the most the poshest person I'd ever met in my entire life, she just took me under her wing and said that she felt that my previous school hadn't understood me. And um, she said, and this was really, I think, the first time in my life when I really saw the power of believing in other people and what it could do for, for someone. And because she believed in me, I started to believe in me. And I literally went from being expelled to being the most idyllic pupil anybody could ask for. It, you, you would have been mistaken for thinking I, I was two entirely different people. When I went to the City of London, I... Um, I just got my head down. I focused. I behaved. I, I loved the school. The school completely changed my entire life trajectory. Okay. So, um, on that basis, what subjects did you do to get into LSE? Just curious. That's just me being curious. Okay. So this is a funny story as well, because I did, um, my, my A levels were German history and English. Now to get into LSE at the time, um, cause I wanted to study international relations. I had to get two A's and a B. Um, so it's, you know, it's tough to That's get hard. into. And, um, I, and interestingly, I'd actually had an offer from Oxford cause they operate a little bit differently. You take their exam and depending on whether they want you or not, they'll give you an unconditional offer or they'll give you an offer that is totally different to what they would do normally. If for whatever reason, they've decided that you fit their criteria for that, that year. So, I had an offer from Oxford, which I knew I would be able to get into, but I really didn't want to go to Oxford. I wanted to stay in London and I very specifically wanted to go to LSE. So I think this was the start of my entrepreneurial career because um, I went to see the admissions tutor at LSE with no appointment. And I sat there for the entire day until she had finished all her meetings. Wow. And I asked her, what could I do if I got two A's and a C? Because I really didn't like German and I really didn't think I was going to get a B in my German. And <laughs> she said, well, 
Charlotte, I have to give you, <laughs> you credit because you're literally the only person in your entire year group that has reached out to come to see me in, or, you know, sent a letter in back in those days, I think. Um, but sadly, there's not much I can do about that because those are our rules and, you know, we're LSE. And I said, well, I totally understand that. But look, <laughs> I have this offer from Oxford and I don't want to go. Please don't make me go to Oxford. <laughs> and um, I knew, you know, back, even back then, oh, I knew. the hardship to- you had. <laughs> right? No. I knew how to build rapport. I needed her to know that I I loved her more than I loved Oxford. <laughs> anyway, it was carried on for a good like half an hour. And um, I remember the day that we started to get uh, the offers in from the universities and I opened it up and I got an AAC offer from LSE. And oh. that was one of my proudest moments. And it taught me such a lesson. Never be afraid to do what other people won't do. Never be afraid of looking stupid. Never be afraid of... of what people might think of you because I tell you what, if I hadn't done that because I got a C in my German and I think I knew I was going to get a C in my German, I wouldn't have got into LSE. Yeah. Ask, you never get, never ask, never get. Yeah. 100%. I mean, if, you, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better learn to blag very quickly. Uh, can I have well, this room for it, free? Do it with humour. Do it with humour exactly. and humility. You will always win people round. Women have an unfair advantage. Don't even get me started, (laughs) Sam. Oh, my God. (laughs) Pretend I didn't hear that. Okay, backtrack. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. No, we won't. Um, Okay, look, great. You were at LSE. Um, (laughs) You're reading Cosmopolitan or you just came across it, but you entered a competition in Cosmopolitan. I I entered a competition for Cosmopolitan to write for them. Um, They had a student panel that they were putting together across the country. And um, truthfully... As much as I wanted to go to LSE, I really always just wanted to be a writer. But I, I, because of the background I came from, I didn't want to do something that was going to mean I was going to be poor. So in my mind, creative people didn't make real money. So as much as I wanted to be a writer, I wasn't going to be a writer because being a writer and being poor wasn't, you know, wasn't in my game plan. Okay. But you, you did write. You did win. I um, did. And you got to interview a certain Mr. Chris Eubank. Now, I've met Chris as well, but not clearly as many times as you. But I was a member of Home House, and he <laughs> used to drive his big truck from Brighton all the way up and stick it right outside Home House. And he'd stick it on yellow lines because he'd go, well, go on then, stick a clamp on that if you can. And he didn't care. He didn't care. No. That's Chris all over. But again, he's somebody else I need to give a massive amount of credit to because he believed in me when really there was no reason to believe in me. I mean, to cut a long story short, I interviewed him for Cosmo, even though they didn't know I was interviewing him, which is a whole nother story. Um, And he offered me a job literally on the spot. And I was just about to go into my third year of LSE doing an economics degree. And I was trying to weigh these two things up because it was more than a full-time job. It was literally a 70-hour a week job. If you've ever met Chris, you only need to meet him once to know how full on he is. Um, And I thought, I'm just going to run with this. I do not want to look back on my life and regret that I didn't take the opportunity. And, um, oh, my God. You know, what did your mother say? Oh, God, that's, again, another whole conversation. My, my, my mom thought I'd absolutely lost the plot. Um, but my boyfriend at the time, who was also called Chris, and this got very confusing, I got back from the interview by the time I got back, I put the key in my door. I lived in this little tiny studio flat in Finsbury Park. And my boyfriend, Chris, was literally just standing there staring at me. And I was like, what's wrong? And he said, you've got a message on the answer machine. I was like, oh, cool, thanks. Like, thinking nothing of it. 
I go and press the message and I can't do a Eubank impression. <laughs> Basically, Eubank is telling me, go and pack a bag. You're going away for the weekend. Meet me at the airport and Gatwick at 8.30 tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, and your boyfriend's like, mm, we need to talk. Yeah, my boyfriend was like, what on earth? What kind of interview was this? And I said, oh, no, he offered me a job. And he said, what? So you he still didn't believe you. What, what is your job, Sean? <laughs> Tell me, what is your job? And I said, I actually have no idea what my job is. But the truth of that story is that I ended up at Gatwick Airport the next morning at 8.30, got on a plane with him and Barry Hearn, flew to Manchester and was told, right, that's it. We're putting on the biggest fight that's ever taken place in the UK, Ben versus Eubank 2. And ah, oh, I, I just, I loved my work. I cannot tell you how much I loved being in that industry. Like, my biggest regret in my career is not turning down Bebo and the, the equity stake. It's none of that. My biggest regret in my career is that at a point in my life when I absolutely could have become a bona fide sports agent, I thought it wasn't a real career at the time and so pursued other things. Mm. And in hindsight, that was that was just the biggest mistake I made. I don't, I don't live with regret. I don't look back on it with regret, but at least I can be honest about it. Like I made a big mistake because I absolutely love boxing. I absolutely yeah. love boxing. But, 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 you know, Barry Hearn's son now is, is the big boxing promoter. Um, and that could have been me. <laughs> the, the long lost daughter he never had. Exactly. Barry, if you're listening to this, it is not too late. Yeah, we've got the next AJ fight. papers are still viable. <laughs> okay, so look, you're in this oh, map. No, where you thought this was going to go. No, well, no I, I, I had no predictions of where this is going. I mean, I knew this was going to go all over the shop. So um, look, so we, we, you, you, you're doing these fights. I mean, that, that was the biggest British fight ever. Um, uh, it was an amazing fight as well, both fighters. Um, but, but you, you then made the decision to leave that world. What dragged you out of that world? What took you away? Well, initially it was practicality. Chris retired and I thought, well, by the way, that was the first time he retired because he did come back um, and then retire again. But the first time he retired, I thought, well, I need to go and do something else now because Chris really, Bank Jr. wasn't big enough then. No, he was about five. Um, um, I don't know. Be, being a sports agent just didn't seem like a viable option for me at that point. Okay. So where did you go next? What happened next? Oh, um, I feel like my, my career path feels like a, um, a, a timeline of incredible coincidences. Well, what happened next was that one of my friends from school, her dad was asked to consult with uh, Sir James Dyson, who was then just James Dyson. And he was actually still um, working from his home in Bath. And um, whilst my friend's dad was there, uh, James asked him, if he knew anybody who was good at PR because he really, he just won his lawsuit against Amway and that was what funded the business. And um, he wanted to build up the Dyson brand, but he didn't have any money to do above the line advertising. So he needed somebody who could help with below the line advertising. <laughs> Oh, the naivety! Oh, the naivety of it! My friend's dad just said, "Oh, uh, Lucy's friend Shah's just uh, she's been working with um, Chris Eubank, and um, I think you guys would just hit it off. I just think you'd get on fantastically well." And so I literally ended up meeting James, and uh, I think an hour's meeting turned into five hours. 
Um, he appointed me straight away. I spent the best part of the next five years uh, working with James, building the Dyson brand and truthfully learning more than if I'd gone to Harvard to do an MBA. And um, my time with James was just oh, it's some of my best memories. Um, I feel so grateful to the opportunities that he gave me. Um, in fact, I, I feel so grateful to many people in my life for the opportunities they've given me, not, not, not just at the beginning, but even today, I feel grateful that people still put themselves out when really on paper, it looks like maybe I haven't quite got all the ticks in the boxes that I needed. I certainly didn't back then. I mean, Chris took a chance on me. James took a chance on me. One thing I've always been very conscious of is that when people take a chance on me, that that I will do everything. I will go above and beyond and beyond to deliver. That doesn't mean I'm always going to get it right. But what it does mean is I will leave no stone unturned in the process of trying to get it right. Yeah, I'm... I mean, we're talking, you, you, you must have been in your mid twenties. Yeah. You know, and you're setting up a PR firm. I mean, in, in some ways though, um, I always believe there's a film by Jim Carrey called Yes Man, um, where he says yes to everything. And I, I think if, in life, if you are positive, if you embrace opportunity, serendipity will come and knock on your door. And, and hopefully nine times out of 10, you'll, you'll do well from it. And it, it sounds like that's what you do. Now, look, with, with James Dyson, um, obviously, he he's built up a massive brand. He's done really well. Um, he he really though. Did you read about uh, you know him moving to Singapore? There was a real Brexit backlash against the brand. Um, hopefully he'll recover because he, uh, I've never met him. Is he is he uh, you know driven or is he an eccentric or how would you describe him? Oh, James is. Um... He's a genius. I think that's probably the first thing that springs to mind. Um, like a real genius, not a pseudo genius. He's, he's absolute visionary. And what I learned from James was that even when nobody else believes in you, I mean, let's face it, he got turned down from by every bank, VC, private equity firm, and every other manufacturer in his marketplace all told him his idea was crap and it wasn't going to work. And yet he still carried on. Who's laughing now, right? Oh, like, yes. He is, you know, again, a bona fide billionaire of his own making. Um, but I have to tell you from a personal standpoint, he was my champion. He challenged me. He, I, I think he was an incredible manager and leader. And I think that big personalities, and he does have a big personality, but in a different way to somebody like Branson. Um, I absolutely learned my eye for design and my love of global knives from him. He was incredibly generous to me. And I don't just mean in what I got paid for what I was doing, but he was so generous in his time. Again, I felt like he took me under his wing and he was like, you know, you're on this ride with me and I'm going to open every door I possibly can for you, Shah, so that you can learn as much as you can whilst we're doing this. I have nothing but huge respect, admiration and love for him. Brilliant. Look, so but something must have then twigged in you because obviously you've moved on again. And this time, you know, um, another, I don't know how you find them, but another famous person knocks on your door. It's like Huey Green and it's a knockout, you know. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it does. I mean, you know, most of us don't meet one of these people in our lives. You meet them, you know, going down the veg shop or something. And I don't know how you do it. But anyway, so the next person that popped into your life was a certain another sir, Sir Bob Geldof. How did you come across Sir Bob Geldof? Well, here's the story. So the reason I ended up leaving James was really simple. Um, 
he instilled the entrepreneurial spirit in me, but there was no equity to be given. I was paid incredibly well and I learned tons and it was just one of the best experiences of my life. But it also teed me up to wanting to do my own thing. And then another chance meeting bizarrely through another friend's husband who was a lawyer who was representing Bob and it was like super early days of internet investments and he wanted to set up a a online travel company called deckchair.com and I was one of the first people on board and I thought wow oh my god I love this space and I think (laughs) the truth is I've been hooked into that online world ever since yeah no I mean once you get the bug you get the bug um now (laughs) It, when I heard about Deck Chair back in the day and Bob Geldof doing it, I have to say, because I, I didn't know you at the time, obviously, um, it didn't seem like a natural fit. You know, the guy who sets up Band-Aid, who runs the Boomtown Rats, wants to do a travel online business. Was he looking at, you know, Martha Lane Fox and Brent Hopeman saying, I can do lastminute.com? I mean, where was his inspiration for Deck Chair? Oh, that's com? very interesting you should say that, because there was more than one occasion when we were all at big events speaking And I'm sure there was an element of that. But what you've got to remember was Bob was also the driving force behind Planet 24, a massively successful production company. He is a creative spirit at heart with a fantastic business brain. So I think what he saw was an opportunity to to level the playing field when it came to travel, to take his creativity, but also his incredible contacts. I mean, listen... That man's black book is insane. Yep, I can imagine. Insane. And I, I actually think it was quite a natural fit for him because he was he was bringing together people who he had direct contact with and using his own creativity to do things in a different way. Okay, so at its height, Deck Chair was valued at about $20 million. Um, you must have had equity then at that time. Life was looking good. Um, what happened? It eventually sold for 3.2 million. But what happened? Was that the dot com crash that got it? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it, it, it hit so many people. And, you know, <laughs> you kind of walked away with your bus fare. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know. Maybe, maybe a bit more in your bus fare, but you get the point. And I don't look back on that with any regret because I just think, gosh. How fortunate was I to have been involved in these things, to have learned from them, because they've all helped me get to where I am today. Okay, so uh, I don't know how long it took uh, between Deck Chair and your next venture, which was called My Kind of Place. I mean, was it an instant, oh, that's exactly what I need to do, or or were there... It was pretty instant because I, I definitely had the internet online bug and I could also see that, you know, to be honest, my kind of place in many ways was one of the very early social networks because it was connecting teenage girls specifically. And um, we went out and we got, you know, investment from B Sky B and we got um, big sponsorship from all the big brands because they all wanted to reach the teenage girls. And we had, you know, a, a kind of like a, we had a real walled environment Um but we were early, right? We were early. We were too early. And I'm not trying to suggest for a second that if we'd been later, we would have been the next Facebook. I'm not that smart, right? I'm a hard worker and I'm pretty smart, but I'm not a Zuckerberg smart. So I'm not pretending that for a second. But we were definitely too early. And so when we eventually exited, 
did better than bus fare money, but equally we were too early. Yeah, I mean, the, the only other site similar to yours at the time was Stardoll. I remember them, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a friend of mine, Katie Bell, was the marketing director for them. Yeah, so um, so those, I mean, there was Club Penguin, there was My Kind of Place, there was Stardoll, there was a couple of others around. Um, I think Club Penguin eventually got bought by Disney. Um, Michael Acton-Smith um, was running Mushy Monsters much, much later. But So those sorts of uh, child community, teenage community sites, um, yeah, I mean, very good. In fact, my guest next week is um, Steve Pankhurst, who started Friends Reunited. I remember, yeah. Yeah, so he's coming on to tell me all about Friendry United or or what did what did or didn't happen. So that'll be interesting. So, okay, my kind of place. You sold that um, back to B-Sky B. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I, I took some time away. Okay. I took some time away from, um, from the online world and I kind of – I'd done some half-sensible investments in property and I was kind of – had a bit stretched away and I thought – let me just take a little bit of time out and um yeah i have my son um and really just thought you know i want to regroup and do i still want to be in this online space in the same way do i still want to be raising vc money do i still want all of this is, is this what i want to do anymore what sort of time frame are we looking at 2000 and what eight uh, nine no, so two, 2000 2005 2005 because it, it i probably took a good 18 months off and um and then i came back with an idea to level the playing field for small business advice and i and i saw like the the you know at the time business link was the best way for people to get advice and i thought you know i i saw the discrepancy between the people that i knew who had friends and families who'd been entrepreneurs and those that, like me had nobody in their direct immediate friendship circles or family and I thought there's got to be a different way and and I, I'm a big fan of peer-to-peer -peer support and advice and so I set up Smarter. Um, we were very fortunate we had great investors from day one we were also incredibly fortunate that we had a seven-figure sponsorship deal from RBS and NatWest which um really really made a massive difference because we didn't have to give away any equity for it and that was all hunky-dory until the banks collapsed and our contract with rbs hadn't actually been signed we had terms you know uh, you know we, we had we, we'd met with the whole board the ceo it was all agreed you know we had we had letters of intent with everything but not the actual hard contract and um I have to say, um, the CEO at the time reached out and said, Shah, I just want you to know I've got this. We're still going to push it through, no matter what we're going through. In fact, I feel that small businesses will need this support even more than they ever did. And um, it was it was Smarter was a real challenging ride on so many levels because um, we launched at the worst time absolutely the worst time we had oh at least half if not two-thirds of our investment disappear at the worst possible time when we were we were financially committed we were contractually committed to developers and all kinds of things and and suddenly we had half the revenue or half the investment to deal with and so um yeah it was uh, it, it was it was a hard couple of years because whilst clearly because i'm still in the similar space absolutely passionate about democratizing um the way that people can gain 
help and support for their businesses. We knew we were onto the right thing. We'd had some incredible support from um, Vodafone at the time and then O2 launching the Smart 100 Awards, which was just fantastic. But at the same time, having to shift our business model in order to make the business itself work. And when we had to shift that business model, it shifted in a way that didn't sit right with me. I was finding that I was spending 80% of my working week in the big banks talking about how we could build software for them. And I'm like, this is not what I got into it for. So so at the time, you're designing a system around helping small businesses and what you're saying is fundamentally you've been pulled away from what its core value was a hundred percent the core value of smarter was to provide a content it was a content play was to provide a content platform and opportunities for small businesses and entrepreneurs up and down the country to network online to meet together not like linkedin purely for people who are running their own businesses. Um, And it had to, and I do understand the reasons behind it, it had to transition into building the software that we built for ourselves to connect the entrepreneurs and small businesses and deliver training. We then had to sell to the banks that they would then monetize through either selling to their customers or using as part of their onboarding package to keep customers. Um, totally understand where where that came from from a business perspective but that's not what i set it up for it's also not what i enjoy and quite frankly it's not what i'm good at yeah i mean i guess um, it, it's not near but the nearest thing i can think of in my head was um thomas and penny power had academy which was like a, yeah. a yeah. network for businesses it, it, it was it was similar to that in in many ways uh, i i guess the difference was academy was very much about this the network, whereas Smart was very much about the co- content first, network second. Right. Now, obviously, before you took the role at Smarter, um, there's a, you mentioned it yourself a little bit earlier. You had the opportunity, unfortunately, you didn't take it, to go and work for a, a certain Mr. Birch uh, oh, at I Bebo. Did. How did that come about? Because I, I obviously, I know Michael oh. and Zocchi and Paul. So, um, through our good friend Ollie Barrett, he is Mr. Barrett. Us. <laughs> yes, he is like the biggest and greatest connector. He is. And I just said, truthfully, I'd never worked for anyone else, really. I don't even think that when I worked with Jay, I didn't feel like I was working for James because I came in at the ground. And just because I don't know, James is just such an incredible human being. And I, I never felt like I was working for him. And I'm not suggesting that Michael would have made me feel like I was working for him. It was just the concept of no, taking Michael's on that. Michael's too laid back for that, I think. Oh, he's way too, yeah, him and Zosia, yeah, 100%. But it was it was definitely the role was working for someone else. And I just thought, nah, I don't think I'm cut out for that. Yeah, I think Joanna Shields took it, didn't she? She did, yes. yes. <laughs> $45 million later. Yeah. Well, you know, is she happy? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay. The- but you know what's interesting? Yeah, go on. Hand on my heart, hand on my heart, when I look back at my career, that is not my biggest regret when it comes to my career. It's really not. My, my only regret is that I didn't become a sports agent. That's it. There's always time. Chapter 10, new book. <laughs> 
chapter 10. We're only on eight, so I've got a while exactly. to Exactly. Now, look, um, there was one company in the middle of all of this amazing career of yours that you haven't mentioned, and that's uh, a certain bright side, bright station. Bright side? What's that, mate? Bright side. No, no, bright station. We'll try that one. Um, who or what was bright station? Come on, I'll sit back for a minute. <laughs> oh dear, where shall I start with that one? Um, Bright Station was an investment fund with Dan Wagner. Who was my guest last week. Which is hilarious timing. And um, it was primarily funded by a guy called Marty Feingold, who was the guy behind Kensington Mortgages. So when everything collapsed... It collapsed with him because uh, Kensington mortgages were at the heart of the subprime market. And when that collapsed, um, so did all the money. And we were looking at doing some, to be honest, some really interesting plays. I think the one I was most interested in at the time was Shiny Media. They had a, um, they had a really big content play. They had lots of, um, verticals, lots of niche blogs and communities, which we were trying to bring together and, uh, kind of, um, one main group there were some really cool things that we were looking at doing but the markets dictated otherwise and so you know you ride with it but yeah that was um let's just call it an interesting time <laughs> yeah we'll park that okay so the one thing i'd go through your career the words i've picked up i guess one of your core drivers is not wanting to be poor and that comes i guess from your roots the other one 100%. is the other one is that most people wouldn't take the risks that you've taken. So, you know, leaving LSE, it, 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 you know, yes, there's the famous Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg stories about Harvard, but most 99% of people don't do that. Not given how hard you work to get in there, that, that would have no. been, and you just seem to have gone through life taking those opportunities. Do you ever think when you've gone into the next opportunity, Oh my God, did I, did I just do this? Am I, am I totally mad? Oh, frequently, uh, frequently, genuinely frequently. But equally, I feel like it's a, it's like a muscle. So the more you use it, the easier it becomes to make those decisions. And I feel like our, our lives are like books and they have many chapters. And I have no idea why we got into this belief that your working life was one singular chapter or maybe two, at the most three. I will carry on doing something for as long as I love doing it. And I'm really good at doing it. When either one of those two things changes, then I need to figure something else out. And who knows? Maybe one day I'll wake up and go, do you know what? I'm kind of done with all of this. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing for a year or two. I very much doubt it. It doesn't feel like that's in my DNA, but I'm not against it. I'm, in fact, I'm not against anything. Okay. Now, in throughout all of this up and down career, which has been 99% up, you ended up with a gong at the end of it all. What gong did you get? I got an MBE for my services to business and entrepreneurship. Um, and I'm, I'm truly grateful for it and, and proud of it because, again, coming from where I came from, that's not the kind of thing that happens to most people. And, I bet your mum was proud then. Um, not only was my mum proud, but maybe even more importantly to me was my nan was proud. And oh, the reason okay. I say that is because my nan was 90 when I took her. She was 90. It was pretty amazing. Oh, wow. So what I was... Took, I took my nan, my mum, and my son with me. So, um, and what was Madge like? Did, was it was it Her Majesty who did it? 
it, it was it was Prince Charles. Um, it was supposed to be Her Majesty, and then I think she was ill on the day or the day before, and so they swapped them over. But I was happy with Prince Charles. I, I truthfully, I think I would have been happy with most of them, right? Like, yeah, it, it's an honour to be there. I'm glad you said most of them, not all of them, at the moment. That's... Oh no, I definitely didn't say all of them. And again, <laughs> that's probably a whole other conversation. Yes. So okay, so here you are. You, you, you've now got a successful business. You, you are an author. You're a a well-known public speaker, you're an entrepreneur, you're a mentor, you, you called yourself an online educator, you've done full circle fundamentally. Um, yeah. Now, there is one story I want you to tell people, which is how you got into writing books. Because again, when I read this, I was like, really? So you took $10,000 and you went to go and see a bloke called Tim Ferriss, who many people won't know. What happened next? Well, for those of you who don't know Tim Ferriss, he wrote a very famous book called The 4-Hour Workweek. And he has a blog, which is very detailed, doesn't come out that often, but it's also incredibly long. It's almost like reading a book. So I very, very rarely read it. However, for some reason, I I opened it on this occasion and he was talking about an event he was going to do called OTK, which which stood for Open the Kimono. And he was going to teach people how to write, create number one best-selling books. And I thought, I really want to do that. Didn't have a book idea in me, but I thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. So I started filling in the form and then I realized it was $10,000, which quite honestly, I didn't have in spare cash at that point in time. But you also had to jump through hoops. So you filled in the form, you had to do an interview, and then they would decide whether you were able to pass over your credit card details or not. That said, it was the best $10,000 investment I've ever made. Um, I made some incredible lifelong friends at the event who are still some of my best friends today. Um, my agent, I met my agent at the event who's represented me in all my book deals. And I'm very, very, very proud of the fact that out of all of the people who attended that event, other than those that were already New York Times bestselling authors, I have sold more books than anyone else that hadn't already been published. So, you know, there is a lot to be said for pushing yourself out of your comfort zones, financially or otherwise. Yeah, you you, you wrote a post actually yesterday about gifting yourself and, and, and allowing yourself that. Now, you've gone and spent an, another chunk of money on a new course. Um, we won't talk about it now. We'll come back after the news and talk about that because I want to understand what that courses because that's a little bit more than ten thousand you told me so i want to know what what you would spend that sort of see i'm a man right if i was going to spend that money it's a car it's 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 for me an old-fashioned vintage car now i could i could do that i'm not a wine collector although i have a wine importing business um so to spend that money on yourself in the way that you you have done I'm curious as to know what that will be. Um, is, does it also mean you've got another book in the works? Of course it does. I've always got another book in the works or two. Or two. Okay. So, all right. Well, look, we've been uh, listening to Shah Wasmood here. Um, if you've missed it, you can always get the podcast that'll be out on Friday. Um, you can also go and get it from my new website, which is samtalks.technology. But, um, I'm just amazed that you've managed to do all this. Now, if you look at it, it this is probably, what, a 30-year career? Mm, probably 20, 25. Yeah. Getting there, yes. So you're only halfway, really. Only halfway. That's what I said. Like, I've got loads to go, mate. Loads to go. <laughs> okay, when we come back, I'm going to find out what this course is that Shah's been 
well, I, I assume you've booked it already. Um, and also, I just want to delve further into the courses that you're running for other people and what the, yep. the way no. they work, really. All right. Uh, we will see you on the flip side of the news. Until then, speak to you soon. Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, Marlo. Hello, the web. Welcome back. Yes. Thank you very much, Sky, for the news. Now, I'm joined by my guest. We've been talking for the best part of an hour. So where have you been? I've been talking to Shah Wasmud. Now, Shah, how do you say your surname? Because I, I want to say it the Indian way. So, <laughs> Wasmund. Wasmund. See, my dad, he has me going, Wasmud. And it's like... <laughs> I'm just telling you, just straight out. That's so. My dad, when I was, uh, I told him your name first time round. He was like, "Oh, good Indian girl." That I was like, <laughs> I said, "No, Dad, she's not." No. Oh, sorry about that. Now we were teasing. I was trying to tease anyway, the best I can. You basically posted um, about booking yourself onto a very expensive course, and you piqued my interest. What course have you booked yourself onto? Okay, so it's um, <clears throat> it's a mastermind rather than a course, which requires uh, three in-person meetups in America throughout the next 12 months, um, all of which are about four or five days long. So that in itself is a massive commitment of time, right? 15 days of your time is a big commitment. That's 15 days that you are not in your day-to-day business, that you're not on holiday because it's not a holiday because it is work. So it's not just the the financial investment, which was, you know, a lot more than $10,000, but it's also the investment of your time. And then I guess you could add the financial investment to the hotels and the travel and everything else. But for me, I'm a massive believer in always be learning. And I, I really wanted to up my game. Um, you may laugh, um, but I kind of had the feeling last year that I, I had got a bit comfy and I was playing it a little small. And that's never really been where I feel comfortable, actually. I get uncomfortable being comfortable. And so I thought, right, I need to up my game. And the best way to up your game is to surround yourself by people who are further ahead than you in the areas where you want to be, in the areas where you want to grow into. I'm a big believer in, in growing into ourselves. And so, I love being the smallest person in the room. I mean, I'm only five foot four, so I'm typically one of the smallest people in the room. But I also quite like the idea of being, you know, the only person who's not doing eight figures. I quite like the idea of having the smallest list. And, you know, I've got a Facebook group of 12,000 people, but they've probably got like five gazillion people in their groups. And I don't have any issue with that because if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. I, I know for that. sure that I'm not going to be the smartest person in the room. So, who is this person that you're going to see? Come on. His name's Jeff Walker. And in the online world, he's kind of like one of the, one of the online internet marketing kind of gurus. I, I guess he wouldn't call himself that. He's incredibly humble. Uh, that's one of the key reasons why, um, I wanted to work with him and join the group is because A, the people who are in the group are amazing. They're, they're just, you know, really, um, carving out new territory and everything that they're doing, but they're the flip flop wearing, you know, short, the flip flops, t-shirts and shorts brigades. And that's where my heart lies. Like, I want to hang out with the surfer dudes. I don't <laughs> want to hang out with the tie guys, right? Exactly. But, my point break moment, as I said exactly earlier. Exactly that. And let me tell you, these guys are doing 
eight figures wearing flip-flops and shorts. And they're taking home a lot of that too. This isn't eight figures that then gets distributed to, to you know, 25,000 shareholders. This is a whole different world. And and I'm not saying that the goal is to get to eight figures. All I'm it's saying not a bad is goal. Goal, not a bad goal. The goal is to have enough financial freedom that it allows you to live your life the way that you want to live it. Yeah. That for me is my goal. So what do you aim or hope to get from this course? What What is the course structure? I mean, it's, you said it's a mastermind, so fundamentally you're bringing something to the party as well. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> the okay. proof is in the pudding. Um, so essentially you're going to be hanging out with a bunch of people who are on a similar journey, the majority of which will all be at different points to each other in one aspect. So whether you're building a Facebook group, launching a new online course, uh, wanting to launch a membership site, there's going to be somebody in the group who's been there, seen it, done it successfully. And hopefully there'll be somebody in the group who's had a massive failure doing it too, so that you can learn from all of their collective experiences. Um, like everything, life and business is about relationships. It's about hanging out with the the guys, by the way, guys is gender neutral. I'm not talking about men. Hanging out with the guys that are on a similar path to you, similar mindset, that, that they feed your energy. They make you more excited about what you're doing. They make you think about things differently. They open up doors of opportunities and possibilities that you couldn't necessarily do by yourself. Or maybe you wouldn't even realize existed without somebody peeling back the curtain for you to see into a different way of doing things. And I'm guessing that's what people come and see you for. I mean, yeah, it is just, you know, I guess on a different scale. So hopefully yeah, I'm going to bring some of that good magic back here as well and share it with, with you know, my tribe because, uh, like I said, uh, the wise man or woman is the one who's always learning. Yeah, yeah I think it's a um, – I think one of my heroes is Charles Handy in his book Second Curve is brilliant. You know, the idea that while you're on your first curve, you better start learning from your second curve and when you're on that one, step step onto another curve. Now, okay, you've got a, a, a son who's 14, okay – is he going to be an entrepreneur? Oh, I have no doubt. I'm just not entirely sure what type of entrepreneur he's going to be. Um, yeah, he's definitely what they would call a chip off the old block. And um, that is quite a challenge sometimes. Yes. Because I've got a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old. And I was having this conversation with, with a couple of friends of mine that our generation and the generation before us, our parents, um, had a very different vision of a future. Now, the vision that my parents were given was work hard, get a decent job, have family, buy a house. It was reasonable in terms of to the salary, get a pension and drop dead, right? Mine was basically not far different. You know, the house price had gone up. I still didn't pay university fees. But at the end of the day, I don't have a pension because that was just a waste of money and time for me. But I ended up getting enough money so that I can retire and do what I want to do. My kids, unfortunately, are looking at a world in which maybe there's no jobs. Automation may kick in, you know, AI. Um, they're going to be saddled. Well, certainly my 20-year-old's going to be saddled with debt unless I pay it off. Um, if she can get a job, good luck. Uh, she won't certainly get a house. I said to her, I'm more valuable to her dead than alive because unless I'm paying for that deposit, um, she's waiting for my inheritance. Um, what world are you looking at for yours in terms of... 
So I always said that my, my daughter hasn't got an entrepreneurial spirit in her yet. And I, I add the premise of yet because it may drop at some point. But if she had an entrepreneurial spirit, I would have told her not to go to university. I would have told her to do something like a textiles, come up with a business idea, go and get into the real world. You know, a little bit of what you said earlier, you know, this, the school of life. Where do you think, given what you know with your son, would you steer him towards the world of university or will you steer him towards the world of get out there and, and learn? I, I'm just curious, given that you actually help other people do this as well for a living. Well, first of all, you're very morbid, Sam. Like, <laughs> what kind of world are you projecting our poor children into? Well, okay, make me feel better because right All now right. I don't feel yeah. that theirs is the best place to be. And yet I think our generation could have said the same thing and the one before and the one after the war and most certainly the ones who were born during the war. This is life. We accept it. We rise with it. We roll with it. We go with it. So my view is I want my son to go to university and here's why. I want him to go to university for the connections. I want him to go to university for the friendships. I want him to go to university for the discipline, for the experience, for so many things that aren't actually related to the academic process. However, is it worth him getting into debt? Yeah, I reckon it is. You know what? I'll be honest. I'm going to put my neck on the line and say it is. And I'll tell you why. Because actually... I want my child to start thinking about how the hell he's going to pay that debt off. Okay. You better get your mindset into the right place so that you figure out how you're going to make so enough the, money. The to bank of the bank of mum is not going to be his answer. Oh, let me tell you, my son is very clear of how the bank of mum works. It works exactly like this on every major thing he wants, whether it's a car, whether it's a flat whether it's his university education, it goes like this. For every pound you create, I will match you. Okay. Simples. You go and figure out how to make a hundred grand for a deposit and I'll match you, but I ain't giving it to you because I don't think that's healthy. That wouldn't have worked for me. It wouldn't be good for me. And I don't think it's going to be good for my son. After all of this is said, if you knew my son, I, I, I literally think I should pull him out of his school and just send him to the Brit school. All he does is make up rap songs and dancing <laughs> and drama. I mean, he, he's one of these very like unusual kids that um, he is an A-star student in maths and physics and chemistry and drama. And Spanish. But the bits in between that he doesn't like, he just doesn't even show up for. I mean, I got his school report back um, last week and it was, it was, wow. I just thought, oh my gosh, I need to take this in. So the first thing I read was he got an A star one, one being he made really good effort, A star one for Spanish. And the teacher said something along the lines of, Jet is a natural linguist. He's such a pleasure to teach. He has a real ear for languages, constantly scoring the top grades in the class. I was thinking, fantastic. Next up, French, C, three. Three meaning he makes no effort. Right. Jet the natural is a linguist. Jet is a constant distraction in class, never paying any attention and hardly ever focusing on the task in hand. He recently scored 46% for his uh, end of year French test, which is no surprise considering he answered the entire last section in Spanish. <laughs> there you go. That is my child. Right. So he's going to university and he's going to come out, but he will be an entrepreneur. So you, that's the good part. I would imagine he will be. 
if he chooses a different path, I'm going to support him on whatever path he chooses. Um, I actually genuinely wouldn't be surprised if he went into entertainment, whether in front of the camera, behind the camera or something. He's, Sports um, agent. I, I can see it in his future. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going to make him do. Relive my life for me. Yeah. Okay, so we've sorted out the children. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll have children a month. Sorted. Not so morbid. They'll all be good. They'll learn some good lessons and they'll make it work. Good. Now, and if not, we'll just have to remortgage the houses. Oh, yeah. No, we don't want to do that. I want to retire to Portugal. Thank you very much. Yes, that's where I want to go traveling. Um, now, when you start your podcast, let's go back to what you're doing today. What you, you said you wanted to break some, you want to be doing MythBusters. Your podcast is it going to be you on your own doing this? You with guests? What's Me the format? With guests. So we're going to do it in seasons and I'm going to do probably a 50-50 mix of me by myself solo and guests. And it's called the Six Figure Expert Podcast with Shah. Um, and that is really the world that I operate in, helping people build their own personal brands. And I want to empower particularly as many women as possible to break through the six-figure barrier. And there is a massive difference. And this is something that one of the myths I want to break between making 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, in your business and actually taking that home in your own bank account. And there are so many in this online world that I operate in, slightly different to the one that we used to know 10 years ago. But there's all these people out there selling courses and this and getting to seven figures in 12 months. And I just think it's just absolute bull crap. You know, 99% of these people's audiences aren't anywhere close to making six figures. So can we break the myths? And can we start to really like get into the reality of what it takes to, as a solo person, as building your own brand online, as being the expert in your industry, how do you start taking home six figures into your own pocket? What are the things practically that you need to learn how to do and do really well in order to make that happen? And that's what I talk about misbusting because I'm, I'm seeing way too many things on Facebook. And again, it's part of this whole photoshopped world that, that we can do all of this effortlessly how to make passive income effortlessly. And I have to tell you, it pisses me off because first and foremost, it's not true, right? I fully agree with that, yep. It's totally not true. But secondly, and I'm not sure if this pisses me off even more, when did it become a bad thing to make an effort? Like at what point in our self-indulgent lives did it become a bad thing to make an effort for your clients, your customers, your students. I mean, I can't get that into my head. I want to make an effort and I want to encourage other people to make an effort. But I also want to tell people, you do not have to kill yourself working 60-hour weeks. You might need to do a few more than four hours a week. You don't need VCs. You don't need private equity money. There is so much you can do with all the knowledge and the skills and the expertise that you've got. Like, I could tell you with your expertise in podcasting how you can make an extra six figures into your own pocket. It's simple when you know how, right? Mm. It's like that's we'll be talking after this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I just there is so much crap out there. I want to cut through all the crap and say, listen, guys, this is what it takes in reality, and I want to share behind the scenes of what I'm doing so people can see the numbers, transparency, all of that stuff. 
is massively important to me. I'm yeah, on a mission. I think I think the transparency stuff is there because you're right. You can go onto YouTube and it's you know every third ad is you know how I made X X X Y Y Y by having an Amazon marketplace or how I did. Or, or, or they're in these you know fifty million dollar houses with a bunch of bikini clad girls sitting on top of their red Ferrari, and then you realise they don't actually even own the home. Yeah. They hired it for a day to do YouTube filled it, filming, and I'm just like, dude, seriously, can we? All wake up and take a reality check. But clearly there are people who are, let's say, taken in, in the best way of putting it. And that upsets me even more because, truthfully, it is the most vulnerable people, the most desperate people who buy into that because the ones who are not so desperate, the ones who, let's say, maybe have a bit more experience and therefore a bit more realistic and sensible, they see those messages and they think, what kind of crazy nonsense is this? And they don't buy into it. So by default, what's happening is the people who can least afford to buy into that stuff are actually the ones who are buying into it. Yeah. So when, when people come to see you, how, how can you tell the difference between someone who's last chance saloon, just desperate, and, and somebody who's just going to give you their time and commitment? Um, you get a vibe very quickly. And also, you can probably tell my style is very straightforward. Very few people would want to come and work with me unless they were conscious that they needed to do the work too. I'm a big believer in I'll do it with you, but I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah, okay. Difference. I don't have a magic pill. No one has a magic pill. But I tell you what I can do. I can show you what I've done. I can teach you the ways that I know for sure work so that you can do it in a shortest period of time than I've done it. But you're still going to have to do it yourself. I can do it with you. I can help you. I can be on the path with you, but I can't actually do it for you. Yeah. Now, do you find that, that, that people respond? I mean, they must respond to that really well. I mean, I, the energy you give out is, is, you know, do you remember the ready break adverts? I have this vision of a little glowy light around you right now. That's the, the sort of energy I see coming off you, Char. Um, but. I'm really passionate about this stuff and I'm particularly passionate about it for women you know I don't just work with women although I, I am tempted more and more to, to make my group programs women only because women show up in a different way when there are no men involved they're much more open and honest and I guess they feel they're able to be more vulnerable about where they're really at in their businesses um, I am just incredibly passionate about empowering women in particular, to be in financial control and to understand where their money's coming from and also where their money's going. And I also dislike a lot of this online industry with all of the crap that is put out there. And yet the flip side of it is I love this online industry for how it's leveled the playing field and allowed people who literally just have the ability to jump online and share their knowledge with other people to build a really significant business. That could never have happened 10 years ago. So I'm so grateful for the way it's democratized, the way that businesses are built today. But I just want to bring some reality back to the world. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the eureka moment. I've come up with an idea. I'll get online. I'll I'll go and get funding, and I'll be sat on the stage at whatever event you want to call, um, telling you how I made my millions. It's not going to happen. Okay, now I I had one question. You you, you said something <laughs> a little while back about Mr. Geldof. You said that his black book was um uh, well jam packed. Let's put it that way. The who's who of. I, I yeah. was just making a note just for fun. Who's the most famous name in your black book? Oh. Well, we know you've got Mr. Dyson in there, or Sir J. 
James. Uh, we know you've got All right. Bob. I've got one. Come on. I'll be. Only because when we were lining, uh, when we were getting prepared for this, one of the things we, we, we were struggling to get my sound coming through to Seth's side. So I said, right, I'm going to make a coffee. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some music on so you can see if it's working. And so Sam had to, you know, just listen to my music. And uh, so knowing what music I listen to, I reckon the most famous person that I've got in my little black book is actually the founder of Def Jam, Russell Simmons. <laughs> okay. And that's a pretty big deal. That is. Now, I, I have to say, I'm not a massive Def Jam fan, but... But he's an industry maker. Yes. He is a pioneer. He is a trailblazer. Like, this man is a don. So I reckon he's the one. Yeah. Okay. And how did you get his number? Oh, man, this is just, a, you know, <laughs> me and my stories, mate. I swear sometimes <laughs> I won a competition at an event. I, I want to enter your competitions. I won a competition at a very high level event that I'd paid quite a lot of money to be at. Um, I think it was rigged because genuinely I think they all knew that I was probably the maddest hip hop fan in the room yeah. to have lunch with Russell. So I had lunch with Russell at Soho House in L.A., and we just happened to start, he started talking about boxing. And so I just made a comment and he said, and then he questioned my comment. And I, it turned into like a half an hour dialogue about boxing, like hardcore boxing. And he was literally beside himself. He could not believe he was sat there with this little five foot four white girl <laughs> talking about boxing on a level. And I mean a level. So the next thing that happened is he cancelled his whole afternoon. It's a true story. And he took me around LA. And the first place he took me, again, this is not a, this is not a joke. He took me to a cryo chamber. Do you know what that is? Well, I'm assuming it's where they ice you for future life. Jesus! Oh my God, it was so cold. But there I'm thinking, listen, I ain't no snow bunny. I like, I like the bikini and the beach and, you know, the sea and... I'm thinking, but I can't wuss out with Russell. Like, <laughs> I can't tell him. Like, I can't get in that cryo chamber because it's too bloody cold. So I had to style the whole thing out. Like, this was the most amazing experience I had ever had. And all the time I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and then um, we went out for the afternoon. We went around L.A. And he was trying to encourage me. He wanted me to come. Uh, he wanted me to relocate and come and work with him on his um he had a credit card company that it was, I mean, he is a super genius brain. And I was just like, yeah, it, maybe 10 years ago, I would have said yes to this, but, but no. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you a quick story, a boxing story that I have. So I was uh, going out with a young lady called Alison and uh, my secretary at the time managed to get me backstage tickets to a band called, um, um, oh God, it's just gone. Uh, Maze. There you go. And, uh, and I'd never been backstage to anything. I was, I was in my early twenties and Mike Tyson was fighting Bruno in London, if you remember. And he just finished the fight and, uh, he decided he was going to go backstage as well. So there we were. The, the concert's finished. Joy and pain. Loved it. Gone backstage. Oh, and we, there, we, 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 
There's Mike Tyson. I am absolutely gobsmacked that I've never met anyone famous in my life, except he decided that he liked my girlfriend. So I'm now stood there with Mike Tyson chatting up my girlfriend at the time with about six of the biggest blokes behind him. I'm thinking, uh, I can't really offer you to take you outside. Let's sort this out, mate. So I just hoped Alison would decide that actually she'd stay with me and not leave me. As it was, um, Mike Tyson was, um, if you've ever met Mike Tyson, he's got, uh, without sounding rude mr tyson he's got a girl's voice um he seriously does i've met him on quite a few occasions yeah and his head used to shake a lot more than it did now because he used to um i think he's maybe you know subdued his head shaking with quite a lot but that used to be because he used to have pigeons and he used to basically uh, keep uh, racing pigeons and he used to mimic them. It was just a reflex reaction. And he, he got into boxing because some local gang person killed yep. his pigeons. So here he was, this girly voice giving me all the head shake like a pigeon. But I know he's Mike Tyson and he's the hardest thing since sliced. And he'd probably knock you out with the out even raising his fist. Exactly. Because the six blokes behind him would have done it first for him. <laughs> but anyway, as it was, the, the end of this story is um, I used to DJ in a club called the Hippodrome in London. And so I used to know some of the uh, managers and door people. So Mike Tyson said, look, I've got to go out for the night. Can you help me? And I'm, this little voice from nowhere said, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll organise that. I knew one person left. I was going through my book. Thank God. And it was just basically, I've got Mike Tyson with me. We're going to come out. No, you haven't. No, seriously, I have. I have got Mike Tyson with me. So we ended up going out for a night out in London to all the nightclubs that you can think of in London with me, Mike Tyson, my girlfriend, and the six biggest guys I've ever met in my life. And did he end up taking your girlfriend home or did she stay with you? She stayed with me, but that's another story. (laughs) That's the next podcast. No, that's a never-to-be-told podcast. Thank God the internet doesn't exist before any of those stories came out. But yes, so yeah, so uh, not as famous as yours. And I don't have his number in my book, so I can't even call him up now. But anyway. You know what? Can I just add, on the, since we talk about Mike Tyson, um, I met him a couple of times. And every time I met him, I have to say I was amazed. He's a real introvert. He is not an extrovert like people think. He was really wanted his own company, wanted to stay away from people. And yet... Since we are here on this podcast, have you been watching his podcast? Because he's pretty damn epic. Is he? I don't know. Oh, you should watch his podcast. Yeah. He has a YouTube podcast, so it's it's simultaneously streamed. And it's actually seriously damn good. Brilliant. Look, Shell, I could talk to you all day uh, and I would hear more and more stories, but I'm sad to say we've run out of time. So, Shah, before we go, where can people find you? What's the address? Uh, just go to com. You'll find everything there or I have a weird name, Shah Wasmund, W-A-S-M-U-N-D. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.